You're listening to Sports Radio Detroit. Welcome to County Tracks. Welcome to another episode of Counting Tracks, episode two of Counting Tracks on SportsRadioDetroit.com. And uh, this is the, uh, just as an update for everybody out there. First and foremost, thank you for listening to the first episode. And that now you can find it on iTunes. We are on every, yeah, we're on iTunes, we're on Stitchler, we're on Google Play. So you can find us everywhere now. So if you're, li- if you're not listening to us on the Anchor app, you can listen to us on those other uh, various platforms. I still have to work on getting us on Spotify, but that will be something that will happen uh, here soon. So, but uh, yeah, so we are back for episode two. We're going to be going a little bit. It's in the some of the the, the tail end of the seventies with some. We go we go to Berlin. Yes, we, we do. Yeah, we do. We go to the moon, and uh, we engage in some awesome. Feminine rock. So, uh, yeah, that one threw me by really like, wow, okay. Yeah. So, but, so I can't wait to hear your thought on that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that. Uh, Megan, how are you? I'm good today. How are you guys? Doing wonderful. Most excellent. Good. It's sunny. Yeah, it's sunny. It is. Yeah, yeah. It's so sunny. much for that at snow. Least, at least now, while we record this, it's sunny outside. Yeah. Right. For the brief moment. <laughs> yeah. For the brief moment, you can't, you can't beat that. So, but, uh, no, at any rate, so yeah, we're, there's quite a bit to get to this on this episode. So if you did check out episode one, we reviewed 1990s or we, excuse me, we discussed 1990s REMs out of time. That was the prelude to automatic to the people. So this kind of fits that same motif with the album we're going to refer to. And that's going to be David Bowie's 1977's low. So that starts the, again, that's just the beginning of the Berlin trilogy, but uh, we'll get to that a little bit. But first and foremost, wanted to talk about, uh, Jimmy Fallon did another kind of crossover or musical. I don't want. To, I don't want to call. It, yeah, it's, it's a normal bit he does. And, and Fallon's always had a musical bone. He does a really good Mick and Jagger impression. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good Mick and Jagger impression. And there's sometimes I like Jimmy Fallon. I like I liked him on comedians getting coffee. Comedians in cars getting coffee. I thought he was really good with uh, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, but uh, and. Some of his, some of the stuff on the show, the game show stuff he does on tonight's show is pretty funny. I think he does laugh at quite a bit of everything, but uh, he did a song and it's kind of holds near and dear to both Aaron and I. I'm not sure how, how do you how do you feel about Sting, Megan? Oh, I have no problems with Sting. I like Sting a lot. Actually. Okay, cool. Yeah, Sting is one of those musicians that I think he, you know, as the time as time goes by, he gets better and better, and his yeah. playing and the way that he interprets his his songs from the past, especially while he was on Fallon, and what we'll hear just shortly in a few moments, is just knowing that you know Sting tries to stay relevant in every decade, and I think you know him appearing on Fallon that we're going to talk about is definitely one of those cases I'm mentioning is where you know he. He remains relevant that these songs can be you know just as popular as they were then today yeah and not to mention it's one of those things where if you're doing a song with the song with shaggy it does kind of bring some uh to the headlines but uh well, sting is one of those people that he can um 
he really doesn't get caught up in a specific decade. I mean, he really lives in the now, and it kind of shows and everything it does. I think. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. So was this recorded this week, I believe? Yep. This was done this week. Okay. Because I know he's been in the news yep. as of late. You know, he's going to be doing a, a Las Vegas residency yeah. this year. And he's also releasing like this huge LP of recovers of his own music done differently. You know, done with a, a more modern twist or, you know, a twist that reinterprets everything. Yeah, and that's and they, that was, was going to lead to him. He, so he did this song on Fallon. Performing Demolition Man from his moon. upcoming album. Yeah, yeah. which we just played. Yeah. Once again, Sting! And this is him doing a version of the 1980. This is off the guy in I believe this is. No, no, this is. Yeah, no, it's. Ghost in the Machine. Oh, Ghost in the Machine, okay. Yeah, yeah. Ghost in the Machine. This is his different version of Demolition Man, which is more guitar heavy. Which is a bit more rock based. There's a bit of the harmonica, so it kind of gives it more yeah. of a swing. Not as new wave sounding. Yeah. Yeah, but this is yeah, this is kind of super simple. So if you want to check this out, we'll we'll be posting the link on our Spotify playlist. By the way, every show, every episode, we'll have a Spotify playlist or something we gathered up. And I have. I heard the single when it was released, and I thought it was a little different for him to. But you guys are right; he has evolved with the decade, unlike his bandmates a little bit. I mean, well, let's be fair here. Like, if Stuart Copeland has done composing work with the Cleveland Harmonica Symphony, he's done he's done stuff with uh, Les Claypool and Oysterhead. So Stuart Copeland has evolved too. He doesn't get the same kind of accolades. Andy Summers has kind of disappeared into photography, doing interviews and talking about the days of the police and. He did like a tell-all book that I didn't look seem like Sting was too happy about, but uh, yeah, Sting's breaking away from doing it, it. It's just Sting as a whole, and same thing with Stuart Copeland. I would put them to as part of the police as solo artists that have stood out on their own and really kind of make themselves. And Stuart Copeland has done some really good drumming, solo drumming as well, and just he's a very multifaceted and he, musician. And not to mention, he's done a lot of. Uh, like it's really kind of weird, but he's done, and you don't even know it. But like he's done a lot of soundtracks, and he done he's composed movies, but you would never know it. Yeah, oh, I absolutely. But you know where Stuart Copeland and Andy Andy Sumner, you know their work, their solo work is is nothing compared to what Sting has done. And I always say, you know, when a big band like that breaks up, you normally get to see like who really is the the true talent of the of the group, and and certainly to me it was. Sting. Sting was the true artist. Sting is the person everyone, you know, goes gaga over. Um, you know, obviously, if Roger and I saw, you know, Stuart Copeland walking down the street right now, I'd be like, whoa, that's Stuart Copeland. Or, you know, that's Andy, that's Andy Summer. You know, we would know who they are. But to the general public, no one would care who these, these side guys are. You know, but if you saw Sting, you know, getting uh, gas at a mobile gas station, you would be like, oh, my God, that's Sting. Tantric gas. Yeah, tantric gas. Yeah. I mean, Megan, would you know if Stuart Copeland was walking down the street? I really would not, quite honestly. Yeah, for me, it's... Sting. <laughs> Sting, I can recognize. Yeah. And the, the reason why I bring this up, too, is because Jimmy Fallon has done a lot of, like, different musical parodies. And this is the one he did recently with uh, Paul Rudd. And <laughs> this is one that was... Yeah. 
they're dressed up like the band um, They're Alive. The ball runs 50, by the way. He doesn't look like his age a day. No, it really doesn't. No. From Clueless on, he looks pretty yeah. much the same. Yeah. Slightly more handsome. Yeah. That's good genetics. Yeah. It's yeah, got to be good sure. genetics. And that, and he's not stressed out. That nope. guy's just he's, having a great he's time. Yeah. 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 You can tell. Or whatever weed he's smoking. Right. Maybe he's not weed at all. You know, why you mentioned that, it's funny because my wife and I, we saw this video yesterday as I was doing show prep. And we were both like, my God, how drunk or high were they when they did that? You know, because <laughs> yeah, the they were yeah. really into it. Mm-hmm. And you watch it side by side comparison with the original video. You're like, wow. I yeah. mean, they got it down right. And uh, I mean, it's great. I mean, I love the fact that Jimmy Fallon is able to work with, you know, these types of celeb, you know, either an actor or an actress. And there's actually a side-by-side comparison video. Yeah. 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 And, you know, what's great about that is, you know, he continues on what late-night hosts like David Letterman used to do, which was focus on uh, artists and bands that didn't get, like, tremendous commercial play or we're just getting started and they would be on late night with david letterman and uh, in this case before fallon got the tonight show it would be um late night with jimmy fallon so you know he used to do weeks uh profiling artists he did one doing the with the rolling stones he did another week with pink floyd mm-hmm. um and he still brings in musicians to sit in with the roots yeah which i mean he booked one of the one of the great hip-hop artists out there today as his house band i mean that that's pretty impressive and you can say the same about um uh, seth seth uh the guy who comes on. Seth Myers. Yeah, Seth Myers, who does late night with Seth Myers. You know, he has Fred Armisen on occasion, and that was originally who was, you know, with the band. But um, if you watch his 8G band, um, you'll see a lot of artists that will occasionally sit in with the band throughout the week, you know, various drummers or guitarists. And, you know, um, James Corden, which we were talking about before we uh, started, um, you know, with his carpool karaoke and how that has expanded out to not even having James Corden on the uh, videos, but having like two musicians just driving in a car and singing, you know, I mean, it has really expanded out. I think the uh, the whole playful aspect or bringing out the playful sides of artists, I think that really stems from SNL, the SNL days, because immediately I just go to Dick in a Box, you know, Justin Timberlake, and, you know, he really brought out this playful side. Um, and I don't, I, I think it's made a good impact because it not only, you know, spotlights certain artists, but it shows that life is fun and you can have fun with it. Yeah. And the, the thing is, though, is for me, I. I think with karaoke, uh, carpool karaoke, it's one of those things that it just takes a good thing and then just kind of like just run into the ground with that because it just started becoming everything and that was James Corbin's known for other things and just I don't know like that now that's his now he feel like he has to one up himself for that all the time. Um, But no, Jimmy Fallon has done a really good job with the bringing. He did the Brady Bunch with the Marvel Universe with that, which was (laughs) everybody enjoyed that, but. I guess for me, I get the only problem I have is to to Fallon is a little bit. He does laugh at everybody, and it just there's no. I, I grew up essentially with. I mean, I watched a lot of Letterman. Later, Letterman has some interesting guests, and Letterman, in terms of even like just the camaraderie between some of the guests he had, 
I don't know. With Fallon, it just seems it's not as borderline as like Jay Leno was bad. Like Jay Leno to me was. Yeah, I'm not a fan at all. Yeah, Leno, I, I don't. I, well, and I and I see where you're going with this because Fallon and Leno, they're definitely like, oh, you do such a great job, blah 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 blah. They'll throw in maybe little quips, but it's all fun and games. Letterman, if Letterman didn't like you, Letterman didn't like you, and he was gonna let you know throughout the entire interview. So if you got off on the wrong track with Letterman, you were going to know about it. And that's why Letterman had such a hard time getting, you know, sometimes these big, big celebrities to come on his show when he was just doing late night was because you didn't know what he was going to do. And eventually, as he went on to CBS, he did start booking those those bigger celebrities. And those celebrities came around and know exactly what he was like. So if you were back then, if you went on Letterman, I mean, you were taking a shot. And he was taking a shot at you if he didn't like what you were all about. Whereas Fallon and Leno, they're, they, you know, they basically interpret, you're my guest. I'm going to kiss your ass for a little bit. And maybe I'll do a rib on you. But that's it. We won't go any further than that. Well, the reason why Letterman was so popular in the counterculture is because of that. He just played it straight. But no, and these musical parodies, is, it is, it doesn't, that's something, an element that is incorporated more and more. And it's the, the, the idea of what was considered a late night talk show of having, I mean, Car- the David Carson having some, some political guest or a book author out there are gone. You're not going to see it anymore. It's just, it's a way for celebrities to not. It's just it's just a PR junket or junket, if you will. So that's that's what it is. And I mean, in, in terms of bringing the music artists and everything, that's those brings out a lot of elements. And there's a lot of bands out there too that I I, I think, however, there's some music out there that gets put out there and should be. It's not. It doesn't go main. It goes mainstream a little bit, but it's not as. I don't know. It just seems like there's. There's a when you see some of the behind the scenes, here's some behind the scenes. If you get some hot shot band out there, that's like, oh well, they're this is the the label's attempt to put this band over by putting them on late night TV versus a band who's actually good. You know, so some of the bands, I, I think some of the bands on there are not what they were. You know, so but uh, well, yeah, I mean, you'll never hear Bikini Kill on like uh, the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. That wouldn't that wouldn't really happen, would it? Or, no, no. You know, any other. Um, like Johnny Carson, for example, you would probably hear them on uh, Conan O'Brien when he had his full night uh, yeah, talk Conan show. Or, yeah. you know, even when Letterman was on late night before going to the late show, um, you would you would see them on Letterman. You would never see them on a, on a bigger stage like the Tonight Show unless you were, you know, you really, really hit it big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's the way that's kind of the way it's been brought into and speaking of bikini kills that leads into our next topic which there's the first time they played since 1997 and for anybody out there who are not familiar with bikini kill which i'm not so i really? was really interested about this band and i didn't have enough time so i'm, I'm not going to give like a layer of like acceptance or denial of their talent but uh certainly this is a band that uh after listening to a few tracks had an opportunity to to say, well, you know what? I'm gonna dig a little bit further into their catalog and see what it's all about. Yeah, they're so, part of the Riot Girl movement. Yeah, and so Megan, I, were you a fan of this band? Oddly enough, I only really heard about them a few years ago. For me, Riot Girl is pretty much Ani DeFranco. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, I'm all for you know ladies being angry or doing whatever they want to do on stage. So um, 
power to them. Just I haven't I haven't delved into their catalog as much as I probably should have. I'm. This is a band also that was by the time I got out of high school they were already had to run, but it's um they're they. Yeah, they were, they started really a powerful movement in the ni- in the late '90s, and it they the reason why I like this band a lot is because uh, Kathleen Hanna, by the way, is the woman responsible for the inspiration behind Teen Spirit. Okay. When Kurt Cobain. Yeah, I can hear that. Yeah. So, well, I know actually it was it was where it was Kurt Cobain, uh, or she was the one that said it smells like Teen Spirit because mm-hmm. Kurt Cobain had some interest in her lady. So that's what, how that came all about. But um, no, it, it's they 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 they're touring. Uh, they played their first show uh, earlier in the week in L.A. They were sold out at the Hollywood uh, Palladium. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. And this is kind of the perfect stage for whether you, whatever, whatever your political beliefs are. And, um, but yeah, this also, by the way, um, Hannah's also married to Mike D from the BC Boys. I did not know that. Yeah. Fun so, facts. Yeah, fun facts. <laughs> fun facts for you. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So, and she also was in a another band. She formed a band after this where it kind of went more towards like a synth sound and that's Tiger Army. You guys mm. familiar with Tiger Army no, at all? I am not. No, not at all. Yeah, so Tiger Army was a band that she formed shortly after Bikini Kill because she... I watched the documentary on... I watched a documentary on Bikini Kill, er, 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 Catherine Hannah's story. It's on Netflix. Really, really good. If you want to get really interested in the band right away. And she got kind of tired of carrying the torch a little bit um, of just kind of being the go-to person for this uh, movement, if you will. So, um, or sorry, not Tiger Army, Lake, Lake Tiger. I'm sorry, Lake Tiger. Um, Tiger Army, uh, Lake Tiger. So that was a band that she formed a little bit after that. And their their sound, if, is, if anything, is completely different than what you expect from Bikini Kill. And this is, this is a song called TKO. It's kind of a heavy guitar, but still not as... A little more polished. That is raw. It's not as punk. Yeah, not as punk. So um, they've done. So, yeah, I'd probably go with this over Bikini Kill personally. Really? Yeah. I'm not anti-punk or anything. No, no, no not to, not to teach your own. No, I understand <laughs> that. But um, no, I was like I said, I was excited. To, to see that they're getting back together and touring and possibly, you know, ma- making more music. Who knows at this point? But bands like that, with that kind of anger and ex- angst, if you will, I think is needed, uh, especially with the, just kind of like making a statement out there. But they spearheaded a, a movement that got a lot of that going and some of the music you like. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, they're they're playing. All the shows are sold out, so they're playing in Brooklyn on the May thirty first, and then yeah, they're doing the shows in New York, and then they're playing in London, and it's already sold out. So they're pretty much already sold out everywhere they're going. So I'll say good for them. Yeah, so <laughs> absolutely, awesome. absolutely. Yeah, so if you're, we're gonna, we'll play some other uh, Bikini Kill uh, tracks on our playlist for. For this week's episode, so uh, we move on and really kind of jump right into our lost tracks of the week. And 
I have to pull like so. I kind of try to keep the the theme Aaron, where you're going with this a little bit. But uh, Megan, let's start with your track of the week because I want to. <laughs> Mine go right. had a personal theme. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yours had a personal theme, and I, I like that. So go ahead, and without further ado. Okay, so. Um... <laughs> this shows the kind of mentality I'm having. I will, I will, I will edit this out later. I um, am having memory issues right now. So I went with SOB um, because I am uh, having a rough week. <laughs> um, it's Nathaniel... Raycliffe and the Night Sweats. Um, the thing I really like about this tune is it's like it's um it's a really deep story packed into a drinking song, but it's not remotely a drinking song. It's like the anti-drinking song. So uh, just to put a little bit of my story out there, I guess I am a recovering addict, <clears throat> and I had one of those weeks that uh, it was just not kind. So. <laughs> Uh, well, alcohol certainly wasn't my drug of choice. I can relate because basically the song is about going through the DTs and going through withdrawals and just wanting it to stop. And unfortunately, there's one way for it to stop, <laughs> and that is to pick up. So it's it's kind of like, I don't know. I love the song. I like the band a lot, too. It's definitely worth checking out. The band is swinging. I yeah, like, they I really like, are. I this like is from 2015. Yeah, the yeah. band is swinging and... You know, hearing them and hearing the vibe, it was huge. And one of their big shows happened to be on The Tonight Show with Jimmy oh, Fallon. Yeah, <laughs> where funny. they came out and just tore it up. Mm-hmm. I think it was still, you know what, I'm almost certain it was probably still late night with Jimmy Fallon. But regardless, he, they went huge on Fallon and they really caught, they caught a wave. And this is a great song that, like, if you know it, you understand it. Yeah. If you don't, if you just heard it for the first time, this really it's sends you down. It's still got a good groove, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, definitely shout out to my, uh, <laughs> my so. folks going through um, active alcohol addiction right now. Um, yeah. I really grew to it. I heard it for the first time on my birthday. Um, oddly enough, we um, we had gone out to eat, and it was my birthday, and I really wanted a drink. And um, part of you know being a recovering addict is I can't touch any substance. So even though alcohol wasn't my problem, going down that road might lead me towards the other road. But there's a the thing we call playing the tape forward, so I always got to be careful. But yeah, it was my birthday, and I just wanted a damn drink. So... Uh, yeah, his lyrics are good too. You know, hands are shaking, heart is aching. It's just, yeah. <laughs> and it's a song that I, now, when I heard it now, I was like, I've, I've heard this before, but it's not. It, 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 this is what the thing about this show that I wanted everybody to understand is that you might have heard it, and people are like, oh, come on, this song was, you know, blah blah blah, on the right. No, some people have never heard it. Yeah. There's and they're like, you know, Aaron, we're just we're just discussing Bikini Kills. So I guess, I guess you could call this episode the un, you know, the un. Uh, the, you don't even have to call it anything. Yeah, I don't it's call just, it anything. You know, it's just the fact of How these it, yeah. are unique artists that, you know, fly under the radar sometimes. Yeah. And being able to talk about that and be able to express that because that's what this show is really all about. It's about going through the, the secret tracks that led to something that was even bigger or better. Lost, so, found, yeah, refound, lost discovered, found, yeah. whatever works. <laughs> so, I mean, when we were talking via our little messenger yeah roger never heard of the song so for that to happen me like oh wow you never heard that oh that yeah yeah welcome <laughs> yeah and that's exactly that's you know that's 
Yeah. That. So yeah, unrelated, just personal related for me this week. It was just fitting. <laughs> yeah, and no, uh, that's a good call, and and that also kind of is completely different from my pick of the week, which kind of leads into Aaron's pick of the week. But uh, mine is a song from 1972, and this is Roxy Music. And this is the I like this version. It's the live version of Virginia playing. And if you think about it, and it's Brian Eno, which kind of leads into what we're talking about. <laughs> um, but he's on stage and wearing a fur jacket. And uh, this is in his, he was on two albums before he uh, became more successful with his producing career. But uh, Brian Ferry and his band kind of a, uh, kind of ahead of their time a little bit in terms of just production value. Um, just I love this song. This song's great. I love seventy two. Seventy two. Wow. Does this end like doesn't sound yeah. like seventy two? Yeah, it's progressive first time. Sure. Yeah. Well, and what's really great about Roxy music is that these guys were really about art house rock, or you could consider them glam rock. Yeah. You know, but I mean, Roxy music just uh, was brought into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame about a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and you know, with Brian Ferry and Brian Eno, what they were able to do, and then Brian Ferry, Andy McKay, Paul Thompson, uh, what they were able to do after uh, Eno had left the band, um, they made sophisticated rock music they were able to transcend what you know we would hear from artists like the killers and and even you too so i mean what a pick right there i mean roxy music's one of my favorite artists and uh, i plan to see brian ferry hopefully later this summer uh, at the fox and he i've i've seen him before this would hopefully be my second time seeing brian ferry and they and him and his band do a a, a really a roundhouse kick version of virginia plain so um, if you have not had a chance to see uh, Roxy Music before, maybe even check out Brian Ferry because doubtful that you'll ever see the whole band together. But um, you know, it's just great music. I mean, hear that bass line in the background yeah. right there. This is like, and this is people are more familiar with this because in classic rock, unfortunately, they play the same sixty songs, and this is <laughs> one of the few ones they do play constantly. So people are more familiar with Love Is a Drug. But yeah, they uh, the, the what's interesting about to me in this, the aspect of this band too is the start and stop. You know, they started, they went from 70 to 76, they, you know, went from 78 to 83, and then they recently got together again uh, as a few years ago. But Brian Ferry, even with uh, More Than This, which came out in 82, that was another song that was kind of big for them. But Brian Ferry's solo career as well has, has been fantastic. But that leads into Aaron's choice. And the reason why it kind of ties together is Brian Eno being – we're probably we're probably technically playing Six Degrees of Brian Eno today. But uh, <laughs> uh, this leads to Iggy Pop's China Girl. And kind of explain why this choice, Aaron. Well, you know what? I mean – this goes into our our counting tracks review coming up, but you know when you hear um, Iggy Pop during this time, 1977, he's along with David Bowie. He's getting clean after a short stint um, at a mental institution. Uh, you know Bowie and Iggy, they're living in you know in around Berlin and I believe uh, even Switzerland as well. There were there were points. So you know they're both in Europe. They're both hanging out. They're both getting clean. They're both getting you know. Uh, serious minded here and ironically enough they're trying to get clean in the one of the biggest heroin capitals in the world in Berlin <laughs> yeah exactly and this bring 
brings us to a, a different sound of Iggy Pop, where we were familiar with Iggy with the Stooges, and you know he's already not working with them anymore. And then all of a sudden, you get this this combination between Iggy Pop and David Bowie, and what you get is 1977's The Idiot, and you know China Girl, which obviously was made humongously popular by David Bowie. Of course, right here is co-written by Bowie and Iggy. And being able to do this song, you know, you get to hear, I guess, a much darker tone of China Girl, where when you hear David Bowie's China Girl, it's a bit more mainstream. It's a bit more popular. It's got, you know, that that flavor of... um, of Neil Rogers, you know, slick production. And um, what's so great about this album is that you see Iggy now being able to do like that art form rock. And uh, The Idiot's a, a great way to be introduced to another side of Iggy Pop. Not just that punk rock, you know, rah! but someone who's a bit more sophisticated than you would think. And so that was one of the reasons why I chose China Girl. And having seen Iggy Pop perform with Josh Homme of um, Queens of the Stone Age uh, and and, uh, an assortment of musicians uh, a couple years back when Iggy was... uh, was touring under the post post depression. Um, I can't think of the name of that album, but uh, it came out just maybe two or three years ago. It was a really great album, and uh, Iggy went po- back post, to uh, post pop depression. Yeah, post pop depression, and that um, that album right there really brings back to some of that earlier idiot and lust for life sound. And these and these young guys, I mean, they're not like 20 years old or anything by that but these young guys can relate to that music because this is what influenced them and so to hear this and then to go back to china girl it, it brings back a lot of memories and it's and it's done so right yeah i, I honestly i think making you get a kick out of this album i think you would like it. it's a little different from what these guys are or what joshua may has been playing but this is a very very good uh, collaboration effort, but uh, this is the song called Gardenia, so I want to check that out. But yeah, good choice there, and it kind of ties into what we're going to talk about here in a second with uh, David Bowie's Low album. But uh, so, Megan, what in terms of your like, in terms of your uh, pick too as well? You said you first heard it. Where did you first hear it at exactly? Um, at a, a uh, restaurant slash bar. Okay, was it one of those like it was among so? So they had a DJ. Okay, so set the scene. It was like a Friday night, so it was kind of hopping. Okay, just not usually my scene. I was just um, yeah, there for the muscles, damn it. But uh, yeah, I heard the song and um, (laughs) muscles are good. (laughs) Oh yeah, Vivian's good good muscles. By the way, garlic, little wine, boom, done. They make these Jamaican ones. They're awesome. But oh, anyway, we'll so we were there for that. And, uh, yeah, I just, I heard it in the background. I couldn't really listen to it, but I, um, my, my friend did the Shazam thing. And so I was able to get the artist and then I went and listened to, uh, to more of it. And that's my favorite way to discover people is just by accident. Yeah. And that's what happened. That's been happening right now with a TV show. I've been watching you're the worst. And they have had some show like music at the end credits. And well, that's actually going to be a theme coming up. We're going to probably do a whole. Where have you heard TV best TV sound tracks you've heard? 
TV song- soundtracks? Yeah, TV well, like songs you've heard on TV shows, and you had to look it up after you watched it. So uh, that yeah, that's that, that'll be a theme for some up soon. But okay, I was just kind of curious how that sets up. So this is our review, or excuse me, this is what we're going to be discussing this week it is 1977's. It was this was released on January 14th, 1977. Uh, Low, and this is the 11th studio album by. David Bowie, and yeah, he had a drug addiction problem and some personal, some some issues, and so this is the first of the three, what is known as the Berlin Trilogy, so, um, however, a lot of this was recorded in France, so, um, but this would lead to the beginning of what would be next known as one of his considered Bowie's best work, which is Heroes, and then, which came out later on this year, came out two albums. Just came on in uh, 77, Heroes and Logic came out in 79. Pitchfork named this album, by the way, number one on its top 100 albums of all time in the 70s. Hmm. So, uh, and, uh, the what's interesting, this is also on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time as well. So, but yeah, this is a album... I'll let you get to it here, Aaron, in just a second. But there's there's a lot of songs on this, uh, including actually one of our shows on the network over on Affair uses a song uh, from this from this album, Sound of Vision, which is a really if you hear the beginning of the show, it's always been used. And there's a lot of instrumentals, a lot of like different just kind of arrangements put together. And this is before Bowie gets into the new wave scene that Megan likes so much. But so, Aaron, why did you pick this album? Well, the album here, you know, you have low. Um, it was one of those things that I casually came across while uh, home on spring break, and I was uh, listening into my. Uh, local public radio station and the host during the afternoon was playing a, a series of Bowie tracks and it was um, one of his favorite artists was Brian Eno so he went to this album because Eno is definitely a, a huge part of Low. And so, um, you know, listening to these songs, I mean, I never heard this type of music from David Bowie. You know, I grew up hearing, you know, the singles like Let's Dance and Changes, Ziggy Stardust, uh, um, you know, and more um, after Let It, uh, Let's Dance, more of his um, later albums, if you will, like Heathen and um, Reality and, of course, The Next Day and so forth. But, you know, what really got to me was just the uh, emotional impact that um, these songs created into me. Uh, and then reading about what Bowie was going through at this time. I mean, you had his, his prior album, Station to Station, which was still, you know, falling under the, the plastic soul, thin white duke. And, you know he's obviously dealing with a lot of emotional uh distress um you know he's uh his addiction to cocaine is at an all-time high he's made a few public uh statements and embarrassing uh appearances uh one notably you know wearing a a nazi uniform and and doing what would be considered their uh their um their hell signaling um so you know he's messed up and he's got to get clean you know he knows it himself and to come and do this album and then listening to um you know listening through it i mean you can tell that this is an album made by someone who is sort of rediscovering who he is 
rediscovering the sound that he has helped create and taking it a bit further. Um, you know, and if we go track by track or, you know, some of my favorite tracks, I mean, some of the ones that hit me hard the most would be, you know, you hear Speed of Life in the background. And obviously songs like Always Crashing in the Same Car, A New Career in a New Town especially. I mean, it has like a very homey, very open to change uh, feel to it. Um, and of course, the biggest instrumental on this album would be called Warsawa, which uh, is mainly instrumental with some background hum, hum, hum. and it's it's very um, it's it's very I guess you could say it just layers with emotion you know and it, and it captures how you know it may feel to be you know dealing with all your problems dealing with all that angst and, and um, you know recovery but discovering playing that out with music and, and soundscapes, which only Brian Eno can do, and then you get the that the talent that David Bowie is. I mean, it puts together just a great album, and it's finished off with an instrumental called "The Subterraneans," which is by far one of the greatest like, electronic uh, rock instrumentals, probably of 30, 40 years. You know, I mean, it, I mean, it holds it holds up now today. And that's why, you know, I chose it as my, uh, as, as something that, you know, would be a, a Counting Tracks record review. Yeah, and, and to me, like, when we do these albums, just keep in mind that I like the, the fact that you tied in your personal kind of experience with it. And that's, it's not necessarily a review. Like, I, I like to think that we're just discussing what it, how, how you fell into it, what makes it good to you and what have you. Um, to me, what, uh, Megan, I'll let you go ahead before... What was your thoughts about this album? Um, it is not my favorite Bowie album. Um, I really... The Bowie that speaks to me, oddly enough, for me, is uh, Pop Bowie. Because he just he writes such an amazing pop song. It's just it's, They always suck me in. Those hits, those singles, they really do suck me in. Um, I can definitely appreciate the work on this album, though. Especially from the standpoint of you know being in recovery. <laughs> it's funny how things tie together. Um... Yeah, you get to a, a certain point when you're not using that you have all these emotions and all these feelings and you have no idea what to do with them because you've been suppressing them for so long. And especially for artists, if you've been creating while using, then to take away that that driving force of creation... Um, Usually something different comes out. I mean, you know, there's still elements of the same in there, but it's, it's a different experience. And, so. and for me, for this album, I... I like the like in terms of instrumentals. Uh, there's some, I I like this album because a of the instrumentals. I do. This is my favorite song on the uh, on the track. Be my wife. Yeah, this is good too. It's just kind of the way it starts off, but it it has definitely the, the whole theme about in terms of his when you talk about the production. Well, here it does set the tone. But even like what I like about this song a lot, or like this album. Is the use of the keyboard, and, and, but the guitar too. The way that the guitar is, especially right here on this part, just like, with the guitar solo like that, among all that, what's going on is a great song. And this is, yeah, this is my favorite song on this um, album. And I really, I turned this up quite a bit when I was driving along, but uh, even the bass on this. 
But I, I the thing about David Bowie, and I, I'm, I'm going to be in kind of agreement. With, I'm actually going to be in agreement with Megan in terms of David Bowie. I didn't get exposed to David Bowie till later on, like the excuse me the the Berlin years until after. I was listening to you know Let's Dance and and all that. What she did essentially for money. I mean, in this album, I mean, he he spoke about it. he was broke, mm. and he had a shared apartment with Iggy Pop there. But what he liked about Berlin, he could just be himself, and no one gave a rat's ass of who he was. Right. Yeah. And so, um, the- and that's why I think that this album is so important in his career, which leads on to more of that pop stardom that he yeah he he garners after uh, moving on from the Berlin trilogy on to like Let's Dance and in the album tonight as well um uh this is where he you know basically recycles himself he takes what he's gained from all of those years under the personas of ziggy stardust aladdin sane the thin white duke and he culminates all of that energy all that creativity into these three albums and it starts with this and it's a masterpiece and and especially of the fact of you know recovery and it's perfect that you brought up your song SOB during I didn't our even lost realize. tracks. <laughs> yeah. It's because yeah. of the fact that itself is about recovery. This mm-hmm. album is him coming out and making music for the first time with a clear mind, with yeah. a clear process. And and, as, and essentially, essentially, he has created, in a sense, new wave music. The true a true form of new wave music that would be followed on with artists like uh, Joe Jackson or uh, Elvis Costello or uh, Nick Lowe, who produced Elvis Costello's albums. You know, you you hear that, and and it's I think that Bowie was able to to bring that out more. And obviously, we're not going to talk about you know um, heroes and Lodger well into. Um, did I say Roger or Lodger? I hope I said Lodger. <laughs> but we won't get into that until further episodes into the podcast because this Berlin trilogy is very important. You get to see the levels of his work and you tie that together with Iggy Pop during that time with The Idiot and Lust for Life. And you got like three great years of new wave music that, um, you know, built that foundation for more new wave artists to to take adventure, you know, to take a chance. and. And to really be open about their addiction, you know. And there's two key things about this album. One is that Brian Eno's alt or is his touch on it was necessarily for production side. It was it started with three little words or three little letters, AKS, and that's his synthesizer. And that was basically what you hear throughout the entire album. Also, the event the event tied H ninety ten harmonizer. So that was something they used, and it kind of had that kind of established, like that, like background here. So, but really, it was Brian, like Brian, you know, in terms of what he brought to that synth out, he kind of really, in a way, was the forefather of it. And, but that's what he brought to this album. So, it's often mistaken, and I want to make sure I clear that up too. He had a lot of his fingerprints on this, but he did some of the work while David Bowie was in Paris. And the reason why he was in Paris was he was in court. Um, I guess his former manager, who I believe, I forgot, I forgot what was the case with that. But either way, well, just want to well, 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 and what'll be clear. Um when you listen to our Spotify uh, playlist is definitely, you know, my favorite tracks, Roger's favorite tracks, Macon's favorite tracks from this album. Um, 
you know, and, and certainly, you know, when you listen to this album, you, you should listen with, a, a, you know, you should feel refreshed, emotionally cleansed uh, after hearing uh, David Bowie's Low. And then, you know, going into Heroes and Lodger, I mean, it's just uh, especially for it's a have, great trilogy of music. Not to mention, you're coming off the Bikini Kill stuff on the playlist, so that's going to be kind <laughs> of a, quite good, a switch. Good, yeah, it's quite a pilot. Kind of like, whoa, yeah. I'm all empowered. Now I'm going to go calm down and mm-hmm. enjoy myself and just relax a little bit. But uh Sniff this coffee and smell the next candle. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so that is part of well, consider the Berlin trilogy, and we'll, we'll you know I think we'll come back to Heroes at some point because of course it's considered by many one of the greatest albums of all time, and it's the same kind of bare minimum uh, approach to it. But uh, before we get to the eighty sheen that is David Bowie, but uh, however you prefer your David Bowie, I, I, among the three of us, David Bowie is, to me, it is, as I learn more, as I've approached music in a different way, I've learned to appreciate David Bowie for what it is. So, for who he is, and, I mean, he's worked with Luther Vandross in early on his career. There's so many people he's crossed paths with. Yeah. Luther I mean, Vandross Steven was on a lot of his great uh, singles during the Thin White Duke phase, especially on Young Americans. You yeah. hear his mm-hmm. influence on there. Young yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Stevie Ray Vaughan mm-hmm. was the, the session guitarist on Let's Dance. Yep. So, I mean, and that's some great guitar playing. People don't understand that before he really hit it big in his blues rock career you know stevie was just a session guy Mm -hmm. and i mean he tore it up on uh that entire album including most properly let's dance Mm -hmm. you know yeah so but we'll we'll probably put it well you know what we'll not in this in this case for the episode we'll not put a david bowie song for the 80s because you can Probably, if you no, radio, don't do that. No, 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 I'm not going to do it because yeah, within, don't do that. if you listen to the radio for five minutes, you'll catch a David Bowie song from the 80s yeah, and it's going to be the yeah, same yeah. three songs anyway. So yeah. modern dance, let's dance in China girl. I would yeah. say no matter how you get your Bowie on, just get your Bowie on. There we go. That, I, like, I like the way you phrase that, Megan. So, uh, but yeah, you can follow us on, you can follow us. Well, we don't have a Facebook page as of yet, but uh, go to iTunes. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on the Anchor app. So check us out there. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think. And we'll be, episode three will be coming up. And we're, I'm not, I have, it's my choice for the album, but I haven't decided yet. So I, there's a couple of decisions I have yet. I'm kind of wagering through right now and, and muddling through with the summer of music coming up. There's, you know, next, our next episode is going to be in the middle of the summer of this year. So, or the, the start of summer soon. And so I might go summer theme. I promise you I won't do the Beach Boys, Megan. Thank you. <laughs> And there's What's like wrong with the uh, Beach Boys. Yeah, well, Aaron, well, well, as you get to know Megan, and you get to know there, there'll be, uh, we'll save that for another episode. But uh, yes, so thank you, Aaron for- and Megan, come to blows. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, never. Yeah, never. episode episode ten. Aaron throws something at Megan over the Beach Boys. No, but uh, all jokes aside, I might throw I might throw a drumstick at Roger just to, to, to throw in the the Copeland Sting relationship. But oh yeah, no, we'll no, find yeah. Out. We'll yeah. find out on episode 10. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that was Keep weird. tuning in. Yeah, keep tuning in. We appreciate you counting your tracks with us. This, whatever you listen to your fine podcast, we appreciate the listen, and uh, we'll see you next time. See you next week. Bye.